0: Father in heaven, we need you in this world full of disease and sickness. We pray that you would keep us safe. Help us to understand rightly how we can be strong when others around us are falling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to show a few pictures about the time when when we lived in Africa. Here's Alina and Johanna. They were just little mites. Alina was about two and Johanna was about one. And... uh, by how they've grown up. This was uh, the country of Zambia. is kind of a landlocked country in the heart of Africa. And this is a typical picture of a rural village that uh, that we visited. Likely, um, this was a Sabbath afternoon. We would often visit out in the villages. And we go to church in some of the local um, churches. that look, didn't look too much different than the hut there in the background. Here's Alina holding up the Bible roll that was used for her Sabbath school class. And um, the girls often didn't like Sabbath school because the uh, locals there thought that their long hair was braided in and that it wasn't real. And so they were curious to know if it was a wig. And so they would pull it. And so when they would go to Sabbath class, they would come back and their head would be hurting because they would be pulling their hair. It wasn't their favorite experience. Often in the rural areas, they did not have an interpreter. Uh, for all the classes, and so uh, typically the translator would translate for me when I would speak. But then we just sat; we didn't understand the the, the Tonga language, so it was uh, definitely a need of interpreter. We saw the wisdom in Paul's advice: whenever there is a lang- foreign language, there should be an interpreter. Um, here's the girls. We were walking. This is the road along the Riverside Farm Institute where we worked, and there was uh, maize growing in the background. And my story today begins with. Uh, this house. This is where we lived, and uh, these steps here. Actually, the girls were likely eating shima, and you see, only one of them is using a fork. The rest of them were <laughs> using their hands. But one day, this was about the time of faith and and my anniversary. Some of our friends had arranged a special getaway escape for our anniversary, and they had somebody came and watched our kids for us, and they. They blindfolded us, and they put us in a van and drove us across the campus. We didn't know where they were taking us, but they were bouncing around, and, and they took us up to the Lifestyle Center, which is up on the hill, and it overlooks the river below. It's very beautiful. So they had a special meal for us there, and we ate together, and we had just a really nice time, but I started not feeling real well. They also had arranged for us to get a massage, each of us, Faith and I. We went to different rooms. And... I've never really liked massages. Uh, They just don't don't work for me, you know? Um, Anyway, I won't go into that here, but as I was laying there, I I started getting this heavy sensation in my hands. They just felt like I had 50 pound weights on each hand and my head was getting dizzy and I just wasn't feeling well. And um, this this young man, Anthony, was getting a massage. I'm like, Anthony, thank you so much. It's really nice of you because he was doing it just, you know, to be nice to us. I said, it's really nice of you. I just don't feel well. can can we just bring this to a close? And yeah, sure. So I went out and sat in a chair, and waited for Faith to be. Of course, she came out radiant. She loves massages. So we, uh, I said, Faith, you know, I, this is really nice. I mean, but can we go back? I don't. I just don't feel good. So they brought the evening to a conclusion and took us home. Uh, and uh, we went into the house, up those stairs right here, and I went in in the door. And that was the last time I would come out that door for a while. I went in the house and I just wasn't feeling good that night. I take that back. The next, the next day, I went to the clinic at Riverside and they says, Chris, you probably have malaria. Um, so they gave me a test for malaria. Now, the way the test for malaria works is that if you test positive, you have malaria. If you test negative, you likely have man- malaria. So the tests aren't Uh, They aren't foolproof. And uh, so what they do is if anyone is exhibiting symptoms, then they will, uh, after a day or so, they'll give them malaria medicine. And so uh, the next day I took some malaria medicine uh, and I just got more and more sick. Um, So they gave me a stronger medicine um, the next day and, and I still got weaker and weaker. I couldn't even get out of the bed and I don't know how long, I don't remember at this moment how, how long I laid there in the bed, but it was, it was days. And um, the, there was two men from the, from the Adventist church there on campus. I came into the house and they laid their hands on me and they prayed for me that I would get better. But I didn't. I got worse. And uh, we decided I need to go into the hospital in town. So Faith helped me walk down these stairs. And I remember getting into the Land Cruiser and we went to the hospital. I felt so, so sick. My back was aching incredibly. My head felt like it was splitting. I was just weak all over. And they took me into the hospital, Faith and I, and uh, they put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me back into some room, and I had a curtain around. They put me in this bed, and they put this curtain around me, and I remember hearing my wife weeping uh, just outside the curtain. And the doctor told her, woman, get a hold of yourself. So uh, she left there shortly thereafter, and I remember laying on that bed, looking at the wall wondering, is this it? Am I going to die? Is my life over? Am I ready for death? Not all of us have come face to face with that. I have. Um, I'm sure many others here also have come face to face with what they felt like could be death and wondered, is this it? Is it over? What's next? I began to think about my life and what I had done with my life, and I still felt there was one thing in my heart I wanted to see. I wanted to see my brother have a loving relationship with God. That's what I wanted. That's what I prayed for. Lord, I want to see this. I knew my wife did. I knew my children did. But I wanted my brother to have this walk with God. Well, I'll tell you the rest of that story when we come to the end Obviously, you see that I lived. So I want to talk about the immune system. Now, Psalms 91 verse 7 says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. This is the text we want to talk about here. Oh, you didn't see that. Let's go to this. Oh, there we go. Okay. So... I pulled out three of my favorite books when I was thinking about the immune system and began to peruse the index in the back to see what it had to say about the immune system. Now, you're going to find the result here of my perusal. So uh, one one of the books I have is called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And in this book, he asks if there was a supplement that you could take that would cut in half the number of days that you were sick after you got the common cold, would you take it? It has only good side effects. Well, of course you would. What is that supplement? That supplement is called, oh, I got to swipe here. Exercise. Exercise will cut in half the number of days that you will be sick uh, from the common cold. Now, Studies show that when children run outside for just six minutes, that the levels of their immune system, uh, the uh, the levels of their immune cells in their blood will increase almost 50%. So exercise helps your immune system to increase. There's another study where elderly sedentary women were studied, and um, when they're, In this age and not very active, they have a 50% chance of getting an upper respiratory illness during the fall season. So they did a randomized test, and they had some that would uh, begin a uh, half-hour walking program, and it actually dropped their risk to 20%. So fairly interesting. So just getting out and walking will drop your chance of getting an upper respiratory illness. Okay, so... um, this third picture here, here we have of runners, uh, you'll be happy to know that um, conditioned runners uh, have an 8% risk of developing an upper respiratory infection. It appears that exercise makes their immune system five times better at fighting infection. So if you're ever thinking of running, maybe this might inspire you a little bit. So why, why is this? Why is it that moving decreases infection? Well, it has to do with what you see right here. Your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. They all have this mucosa that's, that's around uh, your, your face there. 95% of all infections start in the mucosal surfaces. So... Um, there is something within that mucosa, some antibodies, that's called IgA, immunoglobulin type A. And this provides a neutralizing and and it prevents viruses from penetrating into the body. So IgA in your saliva is considered the first line defense against pneumonia and the flu. So compared to a sedentary control group, those who performed moderate exercise aerobic exercise for 30 minutes, three times a day, reported uh, and for 12 weeks had a 50 percent increase in their levels of IGA in their saliva, and they reported significantly fewer respiratory infections. I'm try to move this over here so it's out of my view. Okay, so there we go. So the exercise group, 30 minutes, three times a week, 12 weeks. 50% higher IgA and saliva. So that's something you could take a note of and you could begin to do in your life. Now, there's something to be careful about though. Overtraining can increase the risk of um, infection because it impairs your immune function. So if you really wanna exercise, here's an, here's an option for you. You see that, that uh, picture there on the bottom with popcorn. Now they did a study and they had some um, athletes pedal on a bicycle for two hours. And uh, they noticed that the number of their monocytes, which is a type of white blood cell, took a dip. So there was some that took, a, took three quarters of a teaspoon of nutritional yeast, yeast flakes before they started exercising and it increased their monocytes more than their original level when they started. So fast the popcorn, right? So exercise will rally the immune system. Um, and, uh, let's see, this is, uh, uh, this is by John D. Rady in his book called spark. And so he says that the exercise strengthens you, your immune system in two different ways. Number one, it will rally the immune system. As you see here with, uh, the, the antibodies and the, and the T cells, the lymphocytes, and, uh, it's the antibodies that, that attack bacterial and viral infections. And, uh, and it increases your T cells, which is what goes around in your body and fights infection. And the second thing that it will do is activate cells that fix damage and inflamed tissue. So if you have inflammation, then exercise will help. You, you want that, those white blood cells and the uh, antibodies in your body to, uh, to fight infections. You want a strong immune system that can handle that. So exercise is going to be one of those ways that that will happen. All right, let's, let's put this back up here. Um, okay, so exercising 30 minutes a day, aerobic activity is good, not too much. If you end up doing too much, then you can take some nutritional yeast flakes, and that will help boost some of your white blood cells. So now we're going to talk about the next thing that will that will boost your immune system. And uh, this is in a book by Matthew Walker, and he wrote a book called "Why We Sleep." So they did this study on 150 healthy men and women. So they measured their sleep for one week in advance, and they had them wear a, some sort of wristwatch that measured their sleep every night to make sure they were getting uh, good sleep. And then, um, let's see, what did they do? So they kept them uh, for a, and then, oh, then they quarantined them, and they squirted, it's called uh, rhinovirus, which is a common cold. They squirted this virus right up their nose, right up their nostrils. Now, believe it or not, all of these people knew what they were doing and that this was an actual cold that they were squirting up their nose. So then they kept them for a week in the laboratory and they monitored them all closely. They took frequent blood and saliva samples. Uh, They gathered virtually every glob of uh, nasal mucus possible. They had to blow their nose regularly. They would capture the mucus. They would bag it. They would tag it. They would weigh it. They would analyze it. And the purpose of this was to identify if someone had uh, objectively identify if someone had actually caught the cold. So, um, they compared those that were in part of this. Now, they were in two groups. One group was allowed to sleep for um, five hours or less. This was the week before the uh, the rhinovirus went up their nose. And the other group, group slept seven hours or more. Now, it's interesting. The one group that slept five hours or less, they had a 50% infection rate. 50% of them caught the cold. But those that slept seven hours or more, only 18% of them caught the cold. So there was a direct linear relationship between sleep and infection rate. So um, then they did another test on some individuals that got the flu, and uh, they got a flu shot, and they wanted to compare the uh, the effectiveness of this of the of the flu shot with sleep and the immune system response. Now the flu sh- shot is only effective if your body builds up antibodies against that thing, whatever it is. So like if they have a polio shot, they give you some weak um, or dead polio, um, bacteria, whatever it is, in, into your body, and your body fights against it, and it builds up these antibodies in your body that react to polio. And so it's only effective if your body builds up those antibodies to do that. So this was in 2002. They took a group of healthy young adults. They had two groups and they put one group was allowed to sleep four hours a night for six nights the other group slept seven and a half to eight hours a night for six nights at the end of six days everyone was given the flu shot so their lack of sleep happened before the flu shot and then blood samples were taken taken so group one um, had less than 50 percent of the immune reaction as compared to group two group two had a powerful antibody reaction which demonstrated that a healthy, robust immune system. So this demonstrates that lack of sleep uh, will affect the ability of your body to build up antigens or antibodies. So the question came up, well, maybe because group one, um, they they lost sleep, maybe they could catch up on their sleep and then their body would build up their immune system. So uh, in fact, that was false. They could never go on to develop a, a full immune reaction to that flu shot. A reduction in certain immune cells could still be observed a year later in participants after just a minor short dose of sleep risk restriction. So you can't catch up on sleep. Sleep loss is sleep loss forever. And how it impacts you and that time of your life, will, you will be facing that for a long time. So it doesn't require many nights to uh, shorten your, um, to, to uh, make you immunologically weak. Now, there's something in your body called natural killer cells. Kind of a cool name. So they did a, and what these do is they go around in your body and they, they're looking for things that don't belong there. And if they find something that doesn't belong there or a cell in the body that isn't functioning properly, it will, it will kill them. It pokes a hole in them and, and then they kind, of, they kind of disintegrate. So there was a study done by Dr. Michael Irwin in the University of California in Los Angeles. He took a group of healthy young men and um, there was one single night that they were allowed to sleep only four hours such as they went to bed at three and they woke up at seven and he tested their natural killer cells before and after. And um, when he tested after, he found that 70% of their natural killer cells were removed because of their lack of sleep. Sleep really affects these natural killer cells functioning in your body. Let's see, what is that? Okay. Okay. Now I wanna to switch to uh, nutrition. We talked about exercise, we talked about sleep, and now we're gonna talk about nutrition. Uh, Dr. Michael Greger in his book, How Not to Die, talks of uh, elderly folks. Now, is it true that when you get elderly, your immune system declines, or could it possibly be true that as you get elderly, your attention to uh, dietary habits maybe isn't as as good, and the quality of your dietary habits go- or dietary habits go down. So they did a test. They took a group of 83 volunteers ranging from 65 to 85 years old and they divided them into two groups. So group one was giving a serving of less than three uh, servings of vegetables and groups every day and group two had uh, greater than five servings of fruits and veggies every day and then they were all vaccinated against pneumonia. Group two had a 82% greater antibody response Demonstrating that diet directly affects your immune system. Now, certain certain fruits and veggies uh, may give your immune system an extra boost. So, what are some of these things? Uh, one of one of my uh, favorite here that I'm learning to appreciate. Where we've been making kale chips, and they're phenomenal. You can ask Hilda Flickinger for uh, Hilda Lisa Flickinger for her kale recipe. She's got a really good one. So the USDA uh, estimates that Americans eat 0.05 pounds of kale each year. That's about a cup and a half in 10 years. So the Japanese researchers did a test on raw kale protein, and they dripped one millionth of a gram on white blood cells in a Petri dish. And it multiplied the antibody production 500%. So... um, Having some kale floating around in your blood is not a bad thing. What about cooking? So they cooked kale for 30 minutes, but it did not have any effect on the antibody production. In fact, it seemed to work even better. So however, it should be noted that this was done in test tubes and not in, real, in people. There have been no clinical studies on this, on real people to date regarding kale. So what about the next veggie, broccoli? So in your intestinal lining, there there is a very thin barrier between uh, the outside world, whatever you eat and goes through you, and your bloodstream. It's about it's thinner than a sheet of paper, and the inside of your intestinal lining is about 2,000 square feet, about the size of the floor area of a, of a typical house. Nutrients and fluids can pass through this wall, but it prevents your body from leaking fluids out. Now something has to be there to help prevent vac- bacteria and viruses and, and, and things from getting in there and, and toxins. And so there's something called the intraepithelial lymphocytes. These condition and repair the intestinal lining. So they are the first line of gut defense against pathogens and food and other envi- environmental pol- pollutants like dioxins. So um, these uh, lymphocytes are covered with um, AH receptors that activates them. So scientists tried to find out what is the key that opens these AH receptors so that these powerful cells can work? Well, they found the the key in what you're looking at, broccoli, cruciferous vegetables like kale, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. So Japanese researchers, they found that phytonutrients such as sulforaphane is found in fruits, veggies, tea leaves, and beans, and it can block the effects of powerful toxins in your body like dioxin. They also found that there is an animal product that works as well to, um, to activate the H receptor lock. They found out that camel urine works as well. So when your kids are protesting about broccoli, you can tell them that there is another option available that you could uh, make available. So one note about it's, it it works, the only way it really comes to work, just to make it simple, is that when it's chewed or torn or cut, it releases a chemical reaction that that helps sulforaphane to come into effect. So um, if you cook your broccoli right away without cutting it or chopping it, the sulforaphane is not, not available and it's not gonna do the protection in your body like you want. So Dr. Greger recommends what he calls the hack and hold. You cut it or chop it and just let it sit for 45 minutes. Just leave it there and then you cook it the chemical reaction has happened within it, and even if you cook it, the ciphyrophane will still, will still be there. So in order to get the effect out of these nutrients like cauliflower, kale, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, and, and broccoli, you need to uh, cut it, let it sit for a little bit or tear it, and uh, it'll be effective later. We, we cut pieces up and put it in our salad, and we have mixed that in with our salad, and so we have broccoli there that uh, adds some extra um, extra flavor to our salad. There's another, uh, there's another nutrient, uh, nutri- nutritious item that I think everyone will love that will help your immune system. And that is fruits. The Bioactive Botanical Research Library says that berries of all colors are champions at present- preventing disease. This seems because of their abil- apparent ability to counteract, reduce, and repair damage resulting from oxidative stres- stress and inflammation. And recently, it's been discovered that berries may boost the levels of natural killer cells in your body. Now, there's about two billion natural killer cells floating around in your body. So some researchers wanted to test how this would affect athletes, in particular runners, um, and so they gave them blueberries to eat. They asked them to eat one and a half cups of blueberries for every day for six weeks. They were trying to reduce the oxidative stress due to long distance running, and normally these cells decrease after a, seat, a session of prolonged endurance activity by about a billion, they cut them in half. But what happened with these athletes was in fact the opposite. The result was from eating these blueberries, their, um, their uh, natural killer cells doubled. They had 4 billion, natural, uh, 4 billion natural killer cells floating around in their body. So we talked about exercise. We've talked about sleep. We've talked about nutrition. These are key areas to boost your immune system. Now, it's interesting to note that compared to the entire body, the immune system cells are less. It's just a few of them in your body floating around. I know billion, but compared to the rest that's in your body, it's just a few. And yet they have a protective measure on the entire body. They are a defense for the entire body. They in fact, save and protect just by their presence being there. So there's a spiritual application here, I'm sure. I'm, I'm convinced. We're in a world that's full of disease, the disease of sin. Now, don't take that too far. Sin isn't simply a disease. It's it's a reality. It's an action. It's, it's a thought. It's a word. It isn't, it isn't a disease. The, the remedy to sin is Jesus' blood. Jesus provides that which will give us true immunity to sin. He's offered his blood to spare mankind. Now, God has placed his church in this world to protect and to point them towards the remedy that can save you are to be God's immune system in this world. You have a purpose and a plan. God is looking for a few good men and women who have been saved by the blood of Jesus to stand up for him. He is looking for some phagocytes and some antibodies and some white blood cells that will point to the blood of Jesus that will not fear to call sin by its right name, that will demonstrate the love of God to a dying world, that will preach the truth even though it hurts. We're given this quote in the book Education. The greatest want in the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as, to, as, is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. She goes on to say about these individuals, but such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of God, to love God and to love man. So just like nutrition, exercise, and sleep help to build a strong immune system, just so God has something designed to keep us safe to ward off invasion and attacks. Catch up here. Okay. So in Ephesians 6, and 10 through 13, we're told this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So God has given us an armor that will protect us from Satan's attacks, from sin, from the invasion that this world wants to press into us. So we're told this, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Now we need to understand and know what truth is. Truth is that which will set us free. When we are struggling with temptation, there's some part of truth that we need to understand more clearly. When we are in some relationship battle with someone else, there's some part of truth that we need to understand more clearly. God's truth is that which will set us free. How is it we need to respond when we come to truth? When we come to God's word, do we come to God's word to tell him what his word means? No, we need to come as a humble suppliant, Lord, what does your word mean? Trying to understand what it means. It's interesting. Sometimes you hear the statement when something hard in scripture is read when it talks about jewelry or something else, and they'll say, yes, but, and want to argue with what the scripture actually says. Instead of saying, yes, but, say, Lord, maybe I need to understand this more fully. Maybe there's something in my heart that doesn't like this. Lord, help me to understand your truth that I might be set free. Rather than a yes, but, we should stand firm in the truth because it's the truth, however hard it may be, that will set us free. having on the I can't see that scripture there to it's a oops and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? This has to be Christians that are by faith experiencing a life transformed by Jesus. Their lives and acts are brought into harmony with the Word of God. Their thoughts are brought into harmony with the Word of God. They're experiencing the righteousness of God in their life, not by their own strength, but by the strength of Jesus. Now we're told this, only by the faithfulness in little things can the soul be trained to act with fidelity under larger responsibilities. God brought Daniel and his fellows into connection with the great men of Babylon that these heathen men might become acquainted with the principles of true religion. In the midst of a nation of idolaters, Daniel was to represent the character of God. How did he become fitted for a position of so great trust and honor? It was his faithfulness in the little things that gave complexion to his whole life. He honored God in the smallest duties and the Lord cooperated with him. How are we to have the breastplate of righteousness on? It's the little Things that are the big deals in our life. Now, the little things sometimes we can overlook. You know, what is this and what is that? You know, we just sometimes think they're not that big of a deal, but they add up to be a big deal. Daniel had learned faithfulness in the little things. So I'd ask you just to reflect in your own life. What are the little things that you're slipping on? What are the little things that seem to be not that big of a deal? Is it your temper? Is it how you treat each other? Is it how you spend your money? Is it the things that you watch on the internet? There's so many things that just come at us on the internet. But God wants us to be righteous there. We need to have on the breastplate of righteousness when we're watching the internet. We need to avert our eyes, turn the channel, have your wife switch the ad off so that you can look away. (laughs) Um, the breastplate of righteousness we're told the work to which as christians we are called is to cooperate with christ for the salvation of souls this work we have entered into covenant with him to do to neglect the work is to prove disloyal to christ but in order to accomplish this work we must follow his example of faithful conscientious attention to the little things this is the secret of success in every line of Christian effort and influence. Do you want to experience the breastplate of Christ's righteousness? Is to be found in the little things. It's the secret of success in every line of Christian effort. As we surrender our life to Jesus and by faith experience his righteousness in our life, we can find victory and help in the little things. Continuing on in Ephesians 6, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wow, what a powerful text. Everywhere you go, you're taking the good news of peace with you. Now, some days when I'm more grouchy, my children are sure that I'm not putting on these shoes. Some days I may not get enough sleep at night or get the exercise I need, and maybe I'm a little grouchy. I hear some (laughs) snickering behind me. Um, The gospel should go with us everywhere we go, and it should bring peace to those that we come in contact with. This gospel is something that should be transforming our life, and it should be causing us to go places. We're told to go into all the world and take the good news, the gospel, to every living creature. Above all this, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Now Satan has fiery darts that he wants to pierce you with one after another after another until you can't move any longer because you have so much doubt in your mind. But this shield of faith holds him off the shield of faith. By faith, you lift up the shield when temptations come your way by faith. God gives you the strength to experience his righteousness by faith. Like Abraham. You began to have your eyes fixed on a city whose builder and maker is God. God wants you to walk by faith, and your faith will give you strength over the darts that Satan has and the doubts that he brings up in your mind. And take the helmet of, the, of salvation. I think it's interesting that Paul says that the helmet of our salvation, the helmet goes over the head, the, the mind receives the salvation that God has for it. The thoughts are brought in subjection to to God. He cleanses us. Salvation is to be saved. He saves our mind and our thoughts. Take the helmet of salvation. This is how to have a strong immune system for the infection that Satan wants to place in your mind. Allow God to save your thoughts. Bring every thought into captivity to Jesus Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, how can you study God's word in such a way that it's fixed in your mind? I remember doing a Bible reading plan, and I read read through the entire Bible in one year. You read through the entire conflict of the ages in one year, and you read through the entire um, testimonies to the church in one year. And I would get up in the morning, I would read for two hours straight. And when I got done, I could hardly remember what I would read. I, I'd read the next day. And, and and I learned a lot. I mean, it was a huge blessing to me, but I had a hard time remembering that. And then I read this quote in the book, Christian Education. There is but little benefit derived from hasty reading of the scriptures. One may read the whole Bible through and yet fail to see its beauty or comprehend its deep and hidden meaning. One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is evident, is of more value then the perusal of many chapters and no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. Keep your Bible with you, and as as you have opportunity, read it. Fix it. The memory texts in your mind, and even while you're walking in the streets, you may read a passage and meditate upon it, thus fixing it in the mind. So meditating on it thinking about it. So then I began to do differently. I would read a passage, and I would think about it throughout the day. After I finished reading, I would think about it. I'd pray about it. And throughout the day, I would think on that text. And wow, it made such a difference. I could remember what I was reading. It made a transformative difference in my life. Do not do hasty readings, but may it become a part of who you are. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit each one of these elements of the armor that God has on us. We are to pray in in that way. We're to pray to understand truth. We're to pray to experience God's righteousness. We're to pray to have our feet shod with the gospel of of peace. We're to pray for the shield of faith. We're to pray that God would help us to rightly use his sword in ways that would not be offensive and yet would be faithful to him in all things. We're to pray. And through that, we will find power and strength from that which wants to attack us in life. Now, Daniel was a man who experienced the armor of God in his life, and he was a man who experienced faithfulness in little things. Daniel had learned to be faithful in little things, and so when he came to Babylon, he decided in his mind, with a helmet of salvation on, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That decision is something each one of us needs to do in order to be prepared for the crisis ahead. If we don't decide now that we are not going to defile ourselves, that we're going to put God first, in fact, we're going to fail. But Daniel purposed in his heart. He decided that God would have his heart and not anyone else. It's interesting, the primary thing that he purposed was he would not defile himself with food. The temptation that Adam and Eve first faced was food. Jesus' first temptation by the tempter in the wilderness was food. Daniel, as he's being tempted in Babylon, was food. Interesting. Food eaten incorrectly will break down our immune system. But when we eat the things that God has designed our body to eat, it will strengthen our immune system. Food an idol we, many of us, face and need to find power and help from Jesus. We also read about another man, Joseph. He experienced faithfulness. He stood up in a world that was falling down. He ran away. He fled from temptation and experienced the power that God had for him. I want to talk about another man named Gideon. Gideon had a father who was no longer faithful. Gideon had a father who had idols set up and groves to worship. Now, the idols that, were in, that Gideon was facing and dealing with was something that God had pricked his heart that he should deal with. But we have, we have idols in our life today, too. We have idols of fashion, where we want to have the right clothes. We want to dress the right way. Uh, we have idols of food the things that we like to eat. We will not give them up even if we know they're not good for us. We want certain things and we're going to have them regardless of what God clearly tells us to do. An idol of food. We have the idol of taste. Oh, it tastes good, so I'm going to eat eat it. We have the idol of music. Now, Music was something in my experience that I battled with. Listening to this music can derail your Christian experience. We also have the idol of, I'm going to call it fun young people want to have fun i understand well, we often ask them was it fun was your sabbath school class fun was church fun did you have fun in the afternoon um, did you have fun at your grandparents house it's all about fun i'm sorry but um, sometimes we make fun to be an idol the king that we worship if it's not fun then we're not going to have anything to do with it well there's things in life that we do be, even if they're not fun cleaning my children's diapers was not fun But it was important. (laughs) They're certainly grateful that we did. Um, Sweeping the house may not be fun. Exercising may not be fun. But you experience the fruit of righteousness and later you appreciate those things. We have the idol of jewelry. We have the idol of Instagram. We have the idol of material things like cars and houses and smartphones and the latest whatever. We have these idols. But Gideon was told in Judges 6, verse 25, that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So he was told to be faithful with this little thing. This common cold, this sickness had come into his family, and he was told he needed to take care of this. So he did, and he was faithful. God preserved him, and there began to be a revival that spread out among the children of Israel. He was faithful with the little things, and now he was ready for the coronavirus that was going to come, the Midianites and the Amalekites. We're told in Judges 6, verse 33, now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. They were facing total slaughter by these that were there. But we're told in Judges 6, verse 34, um, No, I didn't get the text there, but I'll read it to you. But the spirit of the Lord God clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Bezrites were called out to follow him. So Gideon had been faithful with the little things, and now he's to be faithful with this large battle, and he sounded the trumpet, calling the people to war. So they showed up there. 32,000 children of Israel showed up there. Ready to fight, but they were as but a drop in the bucket compared to the the Midianites and the Amalekites. But God had a word for them and for Gideon that surprised him. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. It wasn't the amount of people that God was needing, he was looking for a few faithful men, his phagocytes. And his antibodies to carry out his work on this earth, he needed a few faithful men. Well, it was too many. And so Gideon told them, whoever's afraid, leave. 22,000 of the fearful ones left. So there was 10,000 remaining. And God said, yet there are still too many. So they were tested by how they drank water. And those who were alert to the times, who were ready to do battle, they were the ones that were selected. 9,700 were sent home. Only 300 remained. Judges 7, verse 7, And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. These 300 men experienced the power of God. They saw his hand move mightily, and Israel was saved. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. At the end of time, God is going to do a mighty thing in our life. I'll read this to you. Oh, I don't have it there. Oh. Where is this quote I have? Here it is. Let me tell you that the Lord will work in these last days in a manner very much out of the common order of things, and in a way that will be contrary to any human planning. There will be those among us who will always want to control the work of God, to dictate even what movement shall be made when the work goes forward and under what direction of the angel who joins the third angel in, in the message to be given to the world. God will use ways and means by which it will be seen that he is taking the reins in his own hands. The workers will be surprised by the simple means that he will use to bring about and perfect his work of righteousness. God is looking for a few men and women who are willing to be faithful and participate with him in his work in saving others to help be his immune system in this dark and dying world. But you have to wear protective barriers. You have to wear the armor of God to be ready to fight in his battle. So I was laying on the hospital bed thinking, is this over? Is this it? They thought I had meningitis, which would have been pretty serious, probably fatal. Um, Still don't know what I had. I was in the hospital for a week. I remember they would wake me up at night, There was one nurse, a male nurse, that would wake me up in the middle of the night, and he puts something in my IV, like a shot of something in my IV, and it would burn. Oh, it burned. I could feel it going up my arm, up my vein, up to my shoulder. Oh, it just burned incredibly. But he was so tender, and so he would just put it in very slow. Other nurses were in a rush, and they would just shove it in, and it would just rush up my vein, and it would just hurt incredibly. Whatever it was, it took effect, and eventually – I was able to go home. It took me weeks to recover. I still don't know what it was that I had, but, uh, but I lived. I was so grateful that there were personnel at that hospital who were seeking to save someone like myself. There are many in this world who are crying out for help. They need a few good men who will stand up and say, I will be counted I will be faithful. How it says in Psalms 91, verse 7: A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh you. There might be people falling all around, but as we find Jesus to be our help and strength, we can stand strong in a dark and dying world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this evening recognizing that the task at hand is more than we can handle. We know that we are weak and helpless. We need Jesus. We need his power to be found in our life. Lord, please be with us as we seek to carry out your work and lift up your word in this dark and dying world. Help us to be faithful. May we wear the armor of God daily. That we might be able to stand and having done all, to stand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.